Boom. I don't see I don't see the little indicator today. I see. Did you guys see that? Okay. Howdy. I'm on my Welcome phone. Welcome to so Radio, the show where we advanced, talk science, uh, tech, oil, business, whatever, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. Um, and I'm Graham. Together with well, our host no, of this I think it's circus, the perfect to follow the conversation, make suggestions, radio, rate, especially please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rock. Because we do all this uh, stupid hardware swapping and everything. You, you really test the limits up there, man. You use phones, you use paper, pen and paper for some things. You know? Yep, that's, that's right. Uh, I mean, Phone we're book. using all tech available. I've, I've actually switched out uh, my usual... Um, undersampled radio hardware is now a, a an older macbook pro that uh, actually i just i don't know if you saw i tweeted my my middle child my daughter middle daughter upgrading it at the weekend put in some more memory and an ssd so it's now actually a decent machine but unfortunately it's in a room that's being used by someone else <laughs> so i'm back on my phone my backup plan c you, uh, Graham, you, you're muted, mate. I mean, it's a, it's pretty sad. <laughs> What's weird is, yeah, you actually are muted, but weirdly, it doesn't show you as being muted. Um, no, mate, it's not doing it. Anyway, moving on while you fix that problem. <laughs> Graham and I are very excited today because... Um, we have got a guest who's on on the other side of the world, practically for me in Hawaii, um, who we'll be talking to soon, I hope. Thomas Martin. Yeah, Thomas. Hey. And um, where, if Graham comes back in time, we'll do. We're <laughs> still there. He's saying, "I'm still here." Um, we'll do our um, riddle me this stuff before we come chat to you, but. Um, Maybe I'll just play it by ear for a second. Okay, yeah, Graham no worries. Comes back in a minute. But yeah, you're in um, you're in Honolulu. You said. Yeah, the big pineapple. So. Uh, what, is that uh, a nickname? Yeah, no, yeah, sort of the big apple, the the big pineapple. I don't know, um, oh, pineapples. Okay. You know, used to be a huge industry here, but uh, it's kind of a joke. It's like Honolulu's not really that big of a place. Okay. Uh, I f but I feel like it's got some like legit skyscrapers and whatnot, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it's definitely got some legit. There's some real city things about it for sure. Okay. So, and so, what is the population roughly of Honolulu? It's like over a million, but not much over. Like if you consider like the whole, you know, because there's like sub suburbs and you know stuff okay. like that. Like I don't live in the city center, so. And you are where are you? Because I see a leaf rake behind you oh. some kind of squeegee yeah so i'm <laughs> actually i'm in my little shop i have here because my uh girlfriend is asleep because it's early in the morning and so i was like oh, i will go hang out in the garage <laughs> so i've got my surfboard and oh, yeah yes. we're just hanging out nice that's actually pretty good your, your your garage has pretty good acoustics so oh uh, yeah we're super far back here in the valley, um, so I'm hope there's not a whole lot of city noise, so it should be pretty quiet. You might hear a rooster call once in a while, but paradise, Roosters. paradise. Oh, Matt, are you are you going surfing today? I love that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you saw I 
did you saw that video I sent you the other day? Yeah, I, I sent Graham a video of, uh, or I put it in Slack actually, but maybe it was in our chat. Um, just like the view from our wharf, because I'm right on the sea here. Um, but it, yeah, it, like it looked it. it looked like <laughs> absolute misery. I if you had to describe if you if you had to if you had to take a video of of your of your perception of hell. That, it was. It was. That's basically. I, I, that's the video that I would have to shoot. Yeah, there's basically like a Canadian flag cracking in the background. <laughs> it's blowing fifty miles blowing. an hour breeze. The the whole bay is frozen over. This snow. It's. It's pretty good, Graham. You should cut it into the. Oh, I guess we don't actually do a cut version of the video, do we? Um, maybe you can overlay the soundscape. Uh, just there while we were talking about it. <laughs> I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do it right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what it sounded like. And I walked home shortly after I shot that video and was completely like plastered with whatever it was, sleep, basically. When I, got in the I, I of course, we, I like, spit on we expect camera. all this in January, but... Um, <clears throat> You know, it's spring in a week, so I mean, <laughs> it's, so, it's getting a bit old. I'm pretty excited, Matt. We've got two old Riddle Me Thises to answer yeah. today. The first one, most most importantly, <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna ask our guest Thomas um, to answer this question. Thomas, you ready? Yeah. Hot dog, sandwich? No. 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 And why? And why? Because if I was going to ask uh, you and Matt to go grab a sandwich and I took you to a hot dog cart, I feel like you would be confused. Upset. Yeah, you might be a little put off. No, yeah. Indeed. Mm. I agree. I agree. Matt, any comments? Well, that's. I see what you're saying, that there's a kind of intuitive... But then I was thinking, well, doesn't that just mean that a hot dog could be a really specific subset? Of the sandwich set, and and it's like, well, if why wouldn't you more specific? Would I guess be my reaction when when you're going to a restaurant that serves both? They have the sandwich section and then the hot dog sandwich. You know, uh, the hot dog place. There's yeah. a it, what what restaurant uh, do you know <laughs> that has a hot dog section? <laughs> uh, there's a couple. They're not fancy play places, so. And how do I get there? Because that's what I want for lunch. Yep. So, so just, just, just so we're clear here. Your, the answer is no. What you're saying is that sandwiches and hot dogs are like that. That's the Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is. Is that what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> The picture he's drawn, for those of you who are listening to this radio show on the radio, <laughs> is a Venn diagram, the two circles. One is a hot dog, one is a sandwich subsets, and they don't intersect. There's not, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so, I, I drew it smaller too, but I think the universe of hot dogs is smaller than the universe of sandwiches, right? Uh, well, yeah, there's paninis, there's uh, hoagies, there's... Um, Po boys here in New Orleans, but what what subsets of hot? Yeah, you're right. How many hot dog varieties? Wait, 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 wait. What, what are you saying? The a, a po boy is is a sandwich. a sandwich. Is a sandwich. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was I was trying to All name. That... I was trying to name subfields of sandwich. What about a, what about a, a hamburger then? Sandwich. 
What? I th- I disagree well, with Thomas. Ta- I the- think that the hot dog is a sandwich. Oh, you think it is? I sure do. Ah, okay. Because Thomas, what do you say to way? that? Uh, we can agree to disagree. It's it's okay. Wait, so hang on, just so we're clear, you're putting you're putting hamburgers also outside the well, the, the sandwich it, space. It, it's closer because, like, what about like a like a patty melt on rye? You know, that's like that's probably a sandwich. Here's another diagram from Matt. <laughs> a patty melt. What is a patty melt? It's That's just a hamburger on a uh, sandwich bread, usually on rye or sourdough. Okay, hang on a second. So you're saying that is a sandwich? Yeah, yeah. But the on a bun is not. Or I, I think the bun might be the differentiating oh factor in this because it's the same thing for a hot dog. Because uh, you put a hot dog in a bun, not two slices of bread. But what about a sub sandwich then? That's on a roll. But what? Um... <laughs> I feel like there's complexity here that's worth digging into, but Thomas, do you do any work or anything, or do you just uh, talk about? Graham, <laughs> I think we have to accept our share of the responsibility for <laughs> leading Thomas into this. Yes, it's all it's all uh, Dr. Chris's fault, actually. Yeah. Oh wait, wait, we can't talk about. T- <laughs> Sorry, Thomas, uh, I'm gonna need to cut you off again because we actually we have another riddle me this, uh, which will take even less time than the sandwich theory. Matt, go man, go. The well, the other riddle. So I've I, okay. So the other riddle me this was about pangrams, which is sentences, or in our case, not really a sentence, but a group of words that contain all the letters of the English alphabet. Okay, and uh, my challenge was, can you can you make a pangram um, out of mineral names? What's the shortest set of mineral names that contains all the letters of the alphabet? And I realized later, really, that there are actually some other riddles that I should have set first as a kind of a warm-up, because solving this one is quite hard, it turns out. Um, what time is it? The long version will, will be on my blog, agilescientific.com, in four minutes. <laughs> if you're watching live, um, you, can go, you can go and get the long version of the solution. The best solution I've come up with so far, do you want me to actually spill the beans at this point? Yes. Uh, is quartz, kvarnafjeldite, absvermbachite, and pyroxmangite. So just, just to be clear, I did give a list of something like four to 300 mineral names to people who were interested in solving this problem. So those things are all on the list. I solved this with a computer, not with a brain. <laughs> and uh, let's be clear, there was no brain involved. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it turns out what's, what's quite interesting and why I wrote a blog post about this was that this is a well-known classical problem in combinatorics um, called the set cover problem. And it turns out that this is an NP-complete problem. So the, there is, in fact, no easy way to find an answer to it. You basically have to bludgeon it to death with a for loop <laughs> or two. And um, and in fact, I, I'm not sure that that's the best solution. It has 45 letters in it. Um, there are other four mineral solutions. I know that. But this is the shortest one I've found. But I can't be sure that it's the shortest one without checking all of them. And that's, that's one of the 
bugs, if you like, or features of an MP complete problem, is it very hard to find answers to? So if you find a shorter list, uh, send it to Matt, and he will send yeah. you a million I'll, bucks. I'll look after it for you. I'll you know, I actually tried to bring up NP complete and NP hardness on this show once before, and you said there's no way we're getting into that on Understandable Radio. Right, which is which is why I've sent it off Glossed. into the blog. <laughs> Glossed over. Okay. But, um, uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's my solution. So. But now, but then I was just thinking, oh, oh crap! You're going to ask me now, what's next week's? No, I'm going to give you until the end of the show. And I assume you haven't checked the show notes is uh, this morning, and in yeah. there now is a suggestion. <laughs> I totally have. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Thomas, welcome to the show. Uh, I guess Thanks. I already did that part. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what do you do over there in Paradise? <laughs> so <laughs> my day job is doing like really near surface geophysics. Some even dub it parking lot geophysics to look for <laughs> like um, uh, utilities or like excavation, almost like archaeological depths or like buried drums, kind of stuff of that nature. Cool and. Yeah. You use accommodation solutions to do that. Yeah. Your specialty is in electric uh, methods, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at night, I do some work. Um, I used to work for UH Manoa. I did like uh, some research on Lanai, looking for some hot rocks. And so I'm still working on that on like a part-time basis at night and stuff. So I'm busy. Cool. Sorry to take up your time this morning. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> Um, I think that we want to get into the specifics of uh, magnetotelluric and CSEM. Yeah, CSEM. Yeah. Um, what what are they? And in, in in the brief in the briefer than Matt's solution to the riddle me this problem, what is what are yeah. these? Yes. So I'm I'm gonna give you the math free version because um, it's too early to do math for at least for me. <laughs> Um, so magnetotelerics, a lot of people call it MT, and so the instrumentation is really if you have uh, two electrodes at 90 degrees to be at orthogonal ang angles and two magnetometers. Oh, did we just lose Matt? No, he's still there. He's okay. just going out to do something. Got it. Um, so the equipment, so you have electrodes and magnetometers on it, and if you can imagine there's a magnetic field coming in from either the high frequencies from storms, low frequencies from solar wind. That induces, that goes into the earth. A lot of that energy reflects back as an electric field. And if you measure both of those, do some wicked math, you can tease out the resistivity of the ground. Cool. What's the resolution like? Not very good. Um, it's better than gravity or magnetics, but really the control on depth um, is not very good. That's why, at least in an exploration sense, uh, really makes a lot of sense to um, interpret it with size with seismic. Um, but just to do it by itself, it would definitely be a very reconnaissance first pass, um, not super specific depth migrated seismic specifically. Okay, so how about your specialty? 
Yeah, so when I was at uh, Rock Solid Images or RSI and kind of my grad work, I worked with controlled source. And so instead of using the natural source of the earth, you'd actually tow uh, a dipole in the ocean behind your boat, crank that thing up to a couple hundred amps and let it rip. And you would transmit it at like a half hertz uh, up to maybe a few hertz. And then so that you do have a bit higher resolution than MT. And so at Rock Solid, um, we would look at integrating um, CSEM with seismic to tease out uh, subsurface like fluids or salt or other stuff like that. Very cool. How, how does uh, CSEM do a better job at fluid discrimination than, for example, seismic? Right. So I'm sure you guys know, but size, seismic isn't really, it, it can't, it's hard to tell the difference between 15% gas and 85% gas. Like there's just the, the velocity change just isn't there between commercial and non-commercial. But for CSEM, the, the resistivity changes a whole lot. And so depending on how deep your reservoir is or how big it is, uh, CSEM is, sens is sensitive to that change. And so that's really the only reason in oil and gas why anyone pays any attention to CSEM because it's the resolution is better than MT, but still a lot worse than seismic. But um, it's been a couple of case studies where it works out really well, a couple of case studies where it works out really poor. So um, it's still not the magic bullet solve everything, you know, product. So good. So while we've been talking, Matt has muted his video and forgotten to mute his audio. So we heard him clunking around back there, <laughs> opening doors, squeaking floors, and it looks like you've got you have you, you picked up your computer. No, oh. uh, yeah, I'm sorry about the interruption, but I um, my battery warning came up on my phone, so I thought, crap, I'll go and get my charger. Oh, I, so I've, I've plugged it in now. Silly me, I thought you were going to get your computer so you could read the show notes. No, but my video now looks really weird to me. Can you still see me? Yeah. Oh, okay. All I can see is my shoulder. So oh. I don't know. Google Hangouts is just being strange. Um, cool. Yeah. So I wanted to ask uh, Thomas because he actually, um, like at least I can't remember. Do you remember when it was Thomas? Several years ago, we reviewed some books and and um, yeah. he said, "Hey, I, I want to do a review of uh, the book for you," and you very graciously did a review on our blog about, I think, Don Heron's interpretation book? Yeah, it's like the yeah. small little the seismic interpretation book, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, and I remember at the time, I think you were just about to head offshore. Yeah, I was just, I was going on the Healy to the Arctic. So I was hanging out um, north of Alaska, then I sailed east to like uh, the Mackenzie River Delta and kind of out that way, then back around, so. And what, what were kind of yeah? Uh, we we were doing uh, zero like reflection seismic like shallow reflection like sub bottom profiling also some sediment cores while while we were there. Nice. Um, did, did were you doing CSEM as well? No, this was no. with a kind of a previous lab, but we were just doing some seismic work and cores and stuff. Gotcha. Cool. So at Geotech, are you doing? only uh, electrical methods for, for these shallow hazard? Um, 
No, we're actually in probably in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing some shallow seismic work because someone wants to put a building somewhere. I can't really say right now, but uh, we're going to investigate it, make sure it will be a stable place to put your next million dollar build. So, uh, so do a, cool. little, a little bit of everything. Very cool. So when we do um, shallow hazard seismic, we tend to focus our interpretive eyes on uh, shallow diffractions. Uh, for example, if we're looking for voids or hard things, like as you say, barrels full of something, um, you know, it's it's not easy, but um, it, it it jumps out to the eye in, in many cases. What kind of stuff are you looking for on the CSEM data? Uh, sorry, um, for sorry for for CSEM for like my environmental work or CSEM for like yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For doing for doing um, like hazard hazard mitigation or, or hazard uh, identification. Um, um, so one thing, uh, sorry, this is back like offshore. One thing CSEM is really good for is look for uh, gas hydrate, like drilling hazards. Yep. Um, it's super good at that. There actually was a big cruise in like multi summer cruise in Japan looking for that. They're actually looking for that as an energy source as well. Um, yeah, so the other thing on like more the environmental side would just be um, not usually EM, but typically with seismic, see if the ground's going to be really soft, see if you have to, how deep you have to sink in your pylons and other uh, geotechnical con considerations. So, Very cool. How deep to the, in Hawaii, how deep do you guys drive piles down? Oh, they could drive them pretty deep, like 50, maybe 100 feet if you're building a big skyscraper downtown. But I haven't really worked on a project quite like that yet. So I mentioned it because all the buildings here in New Orleans, every every piece of construction, you have to drive pilings down to Pleistocene to get any sort of stability because we're built on a swamp. Perfect. Yes. What? That's pretty cool. I so, I, so, I, so I... Is the CSEM for the um, like this on this building project, or are you using other methods? No, no, no. We're we're just using seismic on on this building project. I, so. I see. Um, so you get to do all sorts of uh, all sorts of stuff. Like yeah, it's it's kind of it's cool coming out because when I was in in Houston, I like only did CSEM like all day, plugged in to my workstation. That's all I did. And here, uh, I get to go outside. Uh, I get to play with a whole bunch of different tools, and so it's yeah. a, kind of a nice change of uh, pace. Is there GPR in there as well? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I do a fair amount of GPR work. Hmm. Well, that's really fun. And um, I guess the other nice thing about those sorts of projects is you often get to, like, there's an actual excavation and so on. How much kind of, uh, you know, back calibration is there when you actually get to sort of dig down into what you imaged before? Um, it's pretty good a lot of times, especially for looking for like buried utilities or pipes, because if they hit something, they'll for sure give us a call. You know, they're not really that happy about it. So uh, <laughs> we find out. Um, I'd say for the most part, um, we're pretty good, um, you know, especially with G GPR. But the other thing that we really try to communicate the uncertainty um, of the data, because not, you know, the GPR data will change really quick depending on where you are. And so, you know, if we're only seeing four feet deep and a client 
hits a sewer that's eight feet deep, you know, it's, we're sorry, but, you know, there's not a whole lot we can do with that. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. And, and are these projects mostly around kind of, uh, you know, urban type projects with utilities and construction and so on? Or yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of just construction based. So it's not necessarily big geoscience, but it's kind of, I've learned a lot about like construction or like if I was going to build a house, like what I would do or, you know, just other stuff like that. So it's, it's been, it's been cool. I, they, um, recently we're working on a new streetcar line here in New Orleans. It's like a trolley. And the, uh, it was really fun to watch these guys walking up and down the street. This is for months, like over, at least over five weeks, these guys walking up and down long stretches of the street with their gradiometer arrays. And, uh, I can only imagine what they found. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure a ton of stuff. Yeah. Hey, there's a note in here about Simpeg. I wonder if they've tested it for the marine case, you say. What's yeah. that about? Um, well, there's hmm. a lot of marine software. Like, I've used Mari, but it's not really open source. It uses MATLAB. So a lot of the stuff, at least, that comes out of uh, the lab I did my graduate work in at Scripps, it all has a MATLAB front end for the most part. And hmm. so I know Simpeg, they're working on um, a lot of EM stuff, both MT and controlled source. and so. But I'm I'm not sure if any of them have tested it for the marine case because there's some, you know, special things you got to deal with when you put all your instruments in the ocean, both acquisition and in modeling. And so uh, I should probably touch base with those guys at UBC and figure and maybe give them some test data or just give them a quick chat. Yeah, that's right. So Rowan, if you're listening, follow up Thomas. <laughs> yeah. Um... The next, uh, is it next? Yeah, the April tutorial um, in Leading Edge is by a guy called uh, Dieter Wertmuller. I don't know if you've come across him. Um, he's written a package called MPMod, which I think is for EM Python modeling. And um, it seems like quite a kind of easy to use little package that he's put together. But so there's a nice CSEM example in there. Actually, you helped me out. Uh, I was asking a few weeks ago if just about like time domain mm -hmm. modeling yeah. of CSEM. So thanks for that. Uh, anyway, yeah. So so maybe maybe check that out because I'm he hadn't heard of Simpeg, so I was sort of putting him onto Simpeg. But it sounds I was surprised at the number of tools that are out there um, in the open domain for these potential field methods. There's loads. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Um... I think just each group just builds their own tools and like, you know, I was chatting with Rowan about this. There's not really that much interaction between the different groups for whatever reason, you know, because, you know, right. I was watching some of the stuff that Rowan puts out. I was like, oh, that's amazing. It's fan fantastic stuff. And, you know, it would have been cool to work with some of that stuff. And so, um, yeah, I think maybe we can pull up our head out of our own individual research groups and see what else is out there. And that would really be helpful. That's the problem yeah, in a bunch of domains, right? Matt, you put a, a note on Twitter the other day about an open uh, Segway uh, loader written in Python, right? Yeah. yeah. What's I, I uh, briefly skimmed it. What's it about? No, yeah, it's it's actually written in C. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so Segway IO. Uh, you know, we don't get new 
segway read open source segway readers come along all that often and in fact if you want kind of pure open source there aren't really all that all that many at all um the last kind of cool one to come along was uh, 60 north's um segpy which was based on an older piece of code by someone at the university of copenhagen i think but that has a has a sort of uh, commercial license arrangement um anyway this new um, Segwire.io has come out of Statoil, so it's kind of interesting from that point of view as well. Um, they seem to be like it's in active development. They seem to be willing to support it. It's not clear yet if it's meant to handle a lot of kind of edge cases or gnarly data or anything. In fact, right now I think it's it will load 2D, but it's aimed at 3D. It's aimed at 3D with decent headers and so on. Um, but yeah, it's got bindings for Python and MATLAB um, and seems pretty good. Like I, I tested it out. It seems to work quite nicely. It's a bit easier to use than OBSPI, which is the thing that I use right now for um, segway input and output. Um, so yeah, check it out. It's on GitHub, github.com slash statoil slash segwayio. Cool. Why do we need it? Why do we need it? Um, well, you know, you don't, you just don't want to rewrite low level utility stuff, uh, if you can help it. And especially for something like Segway, it's not a totally straightforward world to live in. If you're going to handle IBM and IEEE floats or, you know, big Endian and little Endian, uh, floating point notation and stuff. So you can get yourself into a bit of a mess, I think with that stuff. So, um, I, you know, and like I say, this one's got professional developers behind it uh, and a big company that hopefully is going to sort of support it. But, it, you know, it's interesting because it came along at the same time as people, I forget who it was, but someone on softwareunderground.org, uh, someone on Software Underground was asking about um, if anyone knew of a good way to index a very large collection of shot gathers or shot records um, of potentially varying length. Uh, without having to read the entire file, basically. So in, it have a separate index and then arbitrarily index into the data file. And I think that afternoon, the Statoil guys modded this Segway IO to handle a particular that use case, which is kind of cool. Sweet. Yeah. Real time, um, Dev. Yes, I love it. Um, how How much? So we just mentioned open source stuff in the electromagnetic space. It seems like uh, it seems like to me there's a lot more open source accessible tools there than in the seismic world. Do you think that's true? Uh, I, I, no, I wouldn't say that. No, there's <coughs> there's tons in the seismic world. It's just that some of them are horribly documented and and or broken. You know, there's tons of stuff out there. The pro I think the problem is that we don't have a real, that we, we've never as a community really sort of named, decided on and named the stack, quote unquote, to sort of focus people's attention on a, a, a tool set and point developers at them and try and grow them as a community. There's a list of current uh, CSEM and MP MT providers here in the show notes. 
Um, do these guys use similar tools? Uh, are they doing similar types of projects? Uh, yeah, especially for the offshore uh, world. I know that PGS, um, they use Mari 2D EM, which I linked in the show notes. That was developed by my advisor, among other people. Huh. Um, I know that P PGS uh, uses that code a whole lot because with their they use a Toad streamer P PGS, and so it's like 2D data, so that really lends itself to 2D in inversion work. And so, uh, hmm. in in EM EMGS has similar stuff as well. So. This is like for uh, joint inversion with um, some other types of data, like seismic data. Um, not really joint inversion, but you can definitely, you can input in seismic her horizons and then you can uh, break the regularization at those horizons. So if you have top of reservoir, you can be like, you're going to get a big resistivity jump at top of reservoir. And you can even change how big of a break it is, you know, if you're just going from, you know, bottom of reservoir to basement or whatever, you can kind of pick and choose. Uh, how much of a break you want, if that makes sense. It, so it sounds like the workflow uh, in the CSEM world is more um, iterative than it is in the seismic world. I mean, we see it, seismic uh, processors do their thing, black box, and then pass off a product to interpreters, and that's the end of, the, uh, at the end of their involvement. So in CSEM, it seems like you need to do some processing, look at your results, do some interpretation, go back and iteratively update the model. Is that true? Yeah, and I would say the other thing is that it's pretty easy to um, make a synthetic, you know, make your own resistivity section, run a forward, invert that to see uh, if, if your data can, you know, if you can see what you're interpreting. So there's a lot of synthetic testing as well using CSEM. And the processing portion of CSEM really isn't, it's a lot easier than seis seismic. It's not super hard. So re reprocessing the actual data itself doesn't take up that much time. But you can spend all the time in the world making inversions, turning the crank, picking fre frequencies you want to use. Um, yeah, so there's, a, you can spend a whole bunch of time on that part. It sounds like fun. What do you mean by, by hard? Uh, you mean uh, the data is smaller than size? Yeah, I'd say that the data is a lot smaller, and it's just uh, unlike size, seismic, you're, it's, um, what is it? What am I trying to say? It, if you have 10 different CSEM prop processors, you're probably going to get the same result for CSEM data, and I know for, si for seismic, if you mail out your 3D cube to 10 different seismic processors, you're gonna get wildly different velocity models and other odds and ends. So the, the data itself is just, it's easier to handle. It's just the interpretation in inversion, which just takes more uh, time. Not necessarily more time, but more, more care. Very cool. I would love to see a platform or service that it, that includes sort of these updates. So, uh, like for example, in, in the seismic world. So, for example, uh, the shells and the chevrons of the world can afford to uh, do FWI and continue updating and updating and updating their models and their processing as they move down the line. But a lot of smaller clients don't don't do that. 
and I think that's one of the reasons that we have such trouble quantifying reservoir properties from seismic in the general sense. Matt? So, oh. oh, you've gone all quiet again, Graham. Hello. Oh, okay, can hear you. Right. I thought we'd lost you again. I'm here. What do you think about the um, iterative nature of uh, electric methods compared to the seismic sort of, it's here, it's done? Um, yeah, I mean, I really like this. Uh, the, it sounds like Thomas is saying that there's a lot of, um, a lot more forward modeling and trying to do trying to kind of use the intuition to help figure out what you're interpreting in the data. And I, I think that's, you know, I, I always think of Bruce Hart. I think it was him that said, um, you know, it's it's the most important workflow that nobody does inside the interpretation is forward modeling of sort of scenarios to try and understand reflection patterns and so on. And I, as Thomas says, you know, it's it's fairly easy to sort of process um, CSEM data, and I wonder if that's. I mean, it's not hard to make a simple model of seismics. So I, I wonder what it is that's in the way. Maybe it's the making of the models. I'm not sure. Um, Chris Liner's last blog post on his blog Seismos is uh, he's he's making some really nice models. By the way, um, you might want to check out his blog if you're interested in forward seismic forward modeling. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm bugging him to get his code out there. He's trying to Pythonize it right now. And cool. hopefully we'll do a tutorial on it. Um, I wanted to ask Thomas if uh, he's got much contact with um, the university there, or if there's much going on there in the way of sort of general geophysics stuff. I'm, well, I'm sure there's tons, but um, in the way of sort of applied geophysics and um. I think that they're trying to, uh, they just got a big NSF grant, and I think that they're trying to build some of that capability, not necessarily uh, seismic, because uh, it's not the most useful thing on a bunch of basaltic I islands out here, but we just purchased uh, five, or no, we purchased a couple MT units. I think we're on the hook to purchase a new a uh, gravity meter and then some shallow like ERT systems. Um, so kind of like a, so really focusing like on water resources and you know kind of problems of that nature. I see. Hmm. And so um, I might, <coughs> excuse me, I might have missed it, but you are you, well it says Geotech Hawaii slash University of Hawaii. Um, what is your connection with the university? So I, I work for them full time for a little bit. So I worked on Lanai for like uh, five to six weeks. I dug a lot of holes for science installing MT equipment. And then now that's all been done. So I'm just working part time at night to try uh, and that model some of the MT stuff and um, data analysis and other gotcha. report writing. I see. Are you involved in uh, teaching or is that something you'd like to get into? Uh, I would love to teach, um, but I'm currently not involved with teaching. Um, but uh, yeah, is there a is there a way in for that? I, I mean, I guess you have to dig. You have to dig ten thousand holes before they'll allow you <laughs> right, to teach yes. at the University of Hawaii. <laughs> no, I'm 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 not sure if there's a a good 
way in for me right now. I don't know. I I just have my master's, not a PhD, so I know a lot of uh, schools. It's not uh, optimum for teaching at this level, but I can promise I can show undergrads how to dig holes for science. So. <laughs> Would you ever consider uh, going back to school, or you enjoy? Yeah, totally. Work um, yeah, I've definitely thought about it. Um, there's some things I would like to learn. Not, I wouldn't necessarily go back for EM. I'd want to go and, uh, you know, pick up some new skills and check out um, other disciplines for sure. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder, like, why, why do you think it is that we don't do a great job? Like, wh why isn't there just a machine, like a geophysics machine, that kind of rolls around applying lots like it, it always it seems really um fragmented the whole sensing geophysical sensing world indeed that seems like a huge barrier to me like it's like even if you go and do the survey the processing all happens completely separately and the, basically the integration piece is left entirely to human brains kind of thing I like the, the autonomous system movement that's going on. You know, you, you hear about these wave gliders mm -hmm. that just kind of cruise around, taking up passive signals, and data comes in uh, in over long periods of time. And, and theoretically, I don't know how, if this actually happens, but theoretically, you integrate this data into the model, um, again, iteratively, as you get data. But I hear what you're saying, Matt. I mean, if you could automate the integration of that data, that'd be very cool. Your models just populate new information. <laughs> I think when, uh, when, when I was at RSI, like we dealt with a lot of this just with seismic and EM. But if you can think, one thing that's a really tough nut to crack is that the physics are completely different. Yes. You know, uh, you know, seismic, you're looking at acoustic impedance or maybe density. And then with EM, you're looking at electrical resistivity. And so not only are the physics completely different, but also the scales or the resolution is also completely different. And so, uh, you know, there's a, a test case I was working on. So we have well log data, which is super high resolution, and then seismic data, which is a little bit worse, but still pretty good. And then EM data, which is probably a lot of it worse, but still, you know, adds some information to the total product. And so it's really tricky, you know, we would have long conversations about, you know, kind of meshing, cell size, scale, upscaling, downscaling, you know, there's a whole host of problems when you move from one domain to the next, they don't share any physics, if that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's true. You have to kind of back it in from the image uh, processing view, right? You, you, you get this three or five or whatever D image and somehow you combine these things, reconstitute a full uh, interpretation from all these things. Yeah. Right. I'm just, I, I'm just reminded of, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were chatting to Amanda. Um, my memory may be failing me there. But anyway, we were talking to somebody about um, uh, positron emission tomography. And, you know, because that's fairly low resolution, and because it shows you a, because it's got different physics, you only ever look at it in the context of a CAT scan or MRI, right? right? So it, I just think it's weird that we've got this 
for the awesome technology, especially in the context of oil and gas, and like you say, it's got the low saturation problem, but we've got this other technology that's really good at finding, and we know it's low resolution and has different physics, and we know that it's hard to interpret without seismic, and usually we have seismic anyway, like, do you know what I mean? And yet we still shoot seismic without simultaneously shooting a CSEM, and we still routinely just sort of ignore these other modalities because they're a bit tricky to integrate in the workflow. It's well, sort of, sort of seems almost perverse. I would say, Matt, that if you're the marketing guy from PGS, you just played right into his hands because <laughs> they have, um, they just started shooting 2D seismic and 2D CSEM at the same time. So they have big multi-client sur surveys in Norway okay. um, where they do, uh, that's actually the data that you use in the test case. It's in the show notes, but um, where you can interpret both uh, simultaneous CSEM and si seismic. And what's also nice about that, that they're also co-located and they're both exactly. 2D. And so, you know, it's not as good as 3, 3D, but at least it's the same dimensionality mm -hmm. at the exact same spot on the exact same boat. And so it's, uh, it's pretty nice to interpret. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, okay, you're welcome, PGS. <laughs> for that bit of publicity. I, I, you know, cool. I think that's that's great. I just like kind of amazing. You know, I'm I'm not saying that I'm necessarily the most attentive um, geophysicist in the world, uh, but in fact, I may be the opposite of that. But um, you know, I've been looking at seismic for two decades, and I can count on one hand the number of times I've had. Uh, EM. I've never. I don't think I've ever seen MT data. Um, yeah. In fact, when we did have EM, we knew it was there, and we didn't look at it because we had seismic and wells. It right. Is, right. It just sort of seems. I mean, that's terrible. Well, I also think it's probably. Training. Yeah. <laughs> also, like a lack of training as well, because it's so. Yeah. It's such a small community. You know, it's really that does marine CSEM is really just Scripps, uh, Southampton. Uh, there's a group out of Germany, uh, but that's really it as far as like university groups that go out on boats and, you know, throw things with batteries overboard. So, uh, but no, it's the the knowledge is definitely concentrated, and there's not a good reason why. You know, I think we've done probably a poor job of talking to people outside of you know, the EM niche, if that makes sense. So if anyone's looking for joint structural, joint fluid inversion, or something like that with seismic and electric components, um, we, the three of us are starting a new venture <laughs> called Martin Enterprises, and we'll be doing uh, combined workflows, and you're welcome in advance. I want to uh, continue our mineral A through Z series of Riddle Me This Is. Matt. Yes. Do you want me to, uh, since you don't have the show notes in front of you, maybe I will. <laughs> maybe I have I this will. week's, yes. but it's not the, the actual problem description. But I did want to mention, uh, yes. related to the solution before, so I mentioned already the blog post on agilescientific.com, but um, if you go to github.com slash undersampled radio. Oh, my God, that's no, a thing? No, no, oh. I misspoke. Oh. Github.com 
slash software underground. Okay. Slash undersampled radio. So it's just a repo. Oh, that's a thing? Yeah, yeah, that was just a repo inside the software underground <laughs> organization. But you know, if like right now there's two notebooks in there. So when there's ten notebooks, maybe we can have our own organization. We can I have just couldn't be bothered to set it all up. Anyway, if you go there, there's a notebook, a Python notebook on um, last week's problem, but the beginning of it shows you like where to get the data and how to how to load it up. And I'll add the problem description in here, but basically it was all the other stuff that was in the document that described the first problem. So it's like, um, you know, some warm-up problems like what's the longest mineral name in there? And wait, 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 wait! Don't tell those warm. Those are, that's going to be the the uh, question this week. That's what. That's why I'm asking them. Oh, okay, good. Isn't that what we're doing? Isn't that what this is? I apologize. Yes, go on. Did I? Have I? Did you? <laughs> is it? <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, so this week's problems. Uh, there's a whole collection. There's like seven questions or something. Mineral name with all the vowels in it. Um, the mineral name with the most letters of the alphabet, like unique letters of the alphabet in it. And there's half a dozen other questions. I can't remember, but we'll put them in the show notes. So there's a whole suite. And I should have done these before the pangram, because the pangram is like an order of magnitude harder problem to solve. <laughs> Many of the others are one-liners in Python. And Graham, have we lost you again? Because Oh, Graham's in two places now. Oh, that's, yeah. I'm that's back, baby. OK. <laughs> yes. You did lose me oh, again. It's kind of cool to see my own head sitting there. <laughs> that's, you can do that with a mirror, right? <laughs> um, anyway, so that, that, that concludes my description. I need to put a link in the show notes. OK, so I, I totally I bailed out there. And I did, did you ask the questions? Yeah, the ones that I could remember, but I, I need to post the link. You, you may ask the others if you wish. I certainly will ask the others as soon as the computer I've switched to catches up with me here in right now. OK, so the questions I have are, uh, we want a mineral with every vowel in its name. Mm -hmm. We want a mineral with the most letters of the alphabet. That's the You can pick any alphabet you want, actually. That would be fun. <laughs> uh, the longest mineral name, the mineral name with only with only unique letters. Mineral name with uh, It's with no repeated letters in it. Oh. How many solutions are there for that? Bunch, I bet. The mineral name with no vowels. Longest and shortest name starting with each letter of the alphabet. Something like that. And there's probably some, like, if anyone can think of some other really good, uh, fun word games with those minerals, some of the words are quite, they're quite fun to try and pronounce. Yeah, um, feel free to submit a question, a new question as your answer to the. Oh, oh, oh here's one. Here's one. I, I haven't thought about this, so this could go either way around. Um, a name, the mineral name that's the closest to its own chemical formula. Cool. So the shortest Levenstein distance or edit distance <laughs> from its own chemical formula. Very cool. So um, before we go, I want to ask Matt um, one question here. So you you allowed your um, middle daughter to work on your MacBook, 
mm-hmm. and it turned out beautifully. Um, the question is, how do you feel about exposing your child to lead? <laughs> How's the soldering going in the in the Hall household? All uh, right, the soldering. <laughs> I was wondering where that was going with some bizarre experiment you wanted to perform. Um, <laughs> we haven't moved on to soldering yet, but that's it's coming. Oh, I've got okay. two soldering projects. Um, a what's that game called with the with the, the memory game Simon? Is that what it was? Yes. Like one of those. And I've got an oscilloscope. Cool. <laughs> Build your own oscilloscope. So that's what we're working up to. Okay. It's, well, do, I'll, should, I, should I send you a, a ventilator or what? <laughs> Solder doesn't have lead in it anymore, does it? <laughs> well, it depends on which brand you buy. Thomas, thanks for joining us on Understandable Radio. No, hey, thank you guys. I had a great, great time on the show. Matt, sign us off. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, don't forget the Slack conversation. Continue the conversation on softwareunderground.org, uh, where Thomas is a regular contributor, as we are. And um, we'll see you next time on Under Sample Radio. Peace out. <laughs>